Welcome to week three of our summer break series here at A Cup of Gratitude podcast. Today we're talking about compassion, the sacrificial love of God. And I'll be sharing the song Holding On to You by Laurel Taylor. This week is one of two parts on compassion because I believe first we need to look at and learn how to receive God's kind of compassion because it's different than than people's compassion. And then we need to learn how to extend that to others. It's truly what we're here to do, be an overflow of the love of God. So after sharing some biblical thoughts and asking you some personal and pivotal questions, we'll hear a song from Laurel Taylor. If you're able, I don't know where you're listening to this, but if you can just grab a piece of paper and a pen or pencil, there are a couple of questions I'm going to ask that I don't have the time on a podcast to let you really sit and listen to God, but you could either press pause after the question or go back or write it down. There are going to be a couple of questions like that where God really wants to speak to you. He's given me questions to ask you. And so this one's a little different. So be prepared. Let's get started. Today, as I said, I want to talk about compassion. I know I can't see you right now, but unless you're driving, can you raise your hand if you like it when people show you compassion? Yeah, I think we all do because compassion comes to us when we're going through something difficult. I found that we're eager to receive compassion, but we're not always so eager to extend it. Compassion is defined in the dictionary as sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. Compassion means to suffer together. Now, among emotion researchers, it's defined as the feeling that arises when you are confronted with another's suffering and you feel motivated to relieve that suffering. But compassion is more than empathy. Empathy is a feeling for another person's pain, whereas compassion takes action to join them in their pain. It's a fuller, truer definition than mere feelings alone. So based on this information, I would like to define compassion for our purposes today as love in action. God sent Jesus to the cross for us. He sacrificed his only son. He died for us willingly, which is the most remarkable example of love in action. It's the greatest example of biblical compassion ever to exist. Now, If compassion is love in action, then we also need to define the word love, right? There are several kinds of love in the world. There is brotherly love, romantic love, self-love, and agape love. Today, we're going to be talking about agape love. Agape love is selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. It embraces a deep and profound sacrificial component that transcends and persists regardless of circumstance. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 defines this kind of love for us. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In Matthew 22, Jesus states the two greatest commands to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So clearly, love is important to God. God's love is active. It flows to us and then through us as we choose to follow and obey. God's love, sacrificial love, unconditional love goes. Let me ask you, where is God calling you to take action? Who does he want you to join in their suffering? How does he desire to use you to help someone carry their burdens? Now, I do know a little bit about this kind of love. I wouldn't sit here and ask you to do something that I haven't done myself. A great example of this kind of compassionate response is this. So I'm divorced. I was married before I knew Jesus. We had one child together, and we both remarried and had more children. And one day, by God's grace, I truly accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and everything changed. Suddenly, I was waking up at 5 a.m. every day to pray and ask God questions. I couldn't get enough of His Word. And then one morning, when I was praying for my family who didn't know Jesus, God put on my heart to pray for my ex-husband, his wife, and their children. Well, after a while, my prayers were genuine. God had really changed my heart, and I loved them with his kind of love. That love looked like finding ways to bless them without their even knowing, listening to their problems, encouraging them, and constantly praying for them. One day, I asked my ex-husband's wife, Jen, to come to our church for a prayer and praise service. They lived far away, but I knew it would be an excellent place for them to encounter the love of Jesus. They came, and over time, they started coming regularly, and I ended up discipling Jen, my ex-husband's wife. Over time, God brought their entire family into his kingdom, one by one, We went on a mission trip together to Africa, and we all went to the same church. People would see us hugging and laughing and find out who we were to each other and just be floored. The world said that I shouldn't like them. The world said they were my enemies, but God said they were my family. We have to be so careful to know God's heart so that we don't end up acting like the world instead of sharing the love of God. I could have missed out on one of the greatest miracles in my life, a restored family, which is a big part of my testimony that gives all glory to God. Now, the Bible gives us some key ways, really everyday ways for us to be compassionate. Number one, we can speak with kindness. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, and healthy for the body. Number two, we can make peace. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Number three, we can listen well. James 1, 19 says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Number four, we can encourage others. Hebrews 3.13 says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 
And number five, we can offer help. Isaiah 117 says, learn to do good, seek justice, relieve the oppressed, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. I think it's important when asking how we can be compassionate to those around us to first ask ourselves, can we be compassionate with ourselves? How well do we receive compassion? Statistics say that self-compassion is a struggle for more than 85% of all people. Wow, 85%. Now, a history of trauma is one of the most common reasons for a lack of self-compassion. And whether that trauma is from childhood or adulthood doesn't really matter. The mental and emotional damage can scar us in ways that make us feel unlovable and overwhelmed. But we were created to connect, to love and be loved. Now, the great news is that God wants to heal all of us who've been wounded in this way, and it's through receiving his compassion that we can eventually be compassionate. God's love joins us and walks with us. God's love heals those wounded places. Have you ever had difficulty being compassionate with yourself? We're often so hard on ourselves. Sometimes we tend to be kinder to others. Do you always believe that God feels kindness and love towards you despite something that you might have done? Can I tell you that whatever standard you're holding yourself to, that is not how God views you. He has compassion for your situation. Even if you're serving out the repercussions of your own actions, God loves you and wants to walk through those things with you. And he wants to meet you there with hope. So I want to try something. And again, if you're driving, wait or pull over (laughs) or come back to this, this spot when you're not driving. But if you're not, would you close your eyes for a moment? And let's ask God to show us how he sees us. If you would hold your hands out in front of you and be ready to receive what God has for you. Okay, so ask God right now. If he would tell you something that he loves about you. Okay, so there is this beautiful promise found in Hosea 2.15, which says, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. The word Achor means trouble. So God says he'll make the valley of trouble a door of hope. This valley was named Achor because Achan and his family had been killed there. They had disobeyed God in this place of disobedience and rebellion. This valley of trouble is the very place where God promises to provide for us a door to hope. That door is Jesus. Have you found yourself in a valley? Walking out the repercussions of your decisions? God sent Jesus to give us life instead of death, to give us hope. John 10, 7 through 9 says, and it's Jesus speaking, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And this door is also referred to as a sheep gate. Now, in those days, when a shepherd put the sheep in a pen at night, there was no actual gate to close only an opening for the sheep to go in or out. And sheep often spent their entire day grazing 
never looking up, and as a result, they often became lost. Have you ever just kept doing what you do every day without thinking, without looking up, without checking in with God? Have you continued on with your job, your to-do lists, and family obligations, and not taken any time to look to the shepherd? Have you found that after a while on your own, just grazing along, when you look up, you're a bit lost? Sheep have no homing instinct. They're incapable of finding their way to the sheepfold, even if it's in plain sight. By nature, sheep are followers, easily susceptible to injuries, and helpless against predators. And remember, this is the animal that the Bible uses to describe us. And because of these things, sheep are totally dependent on the shepherd, and he tends to them with care and compassion. He knows everything about them, and he understands their struggles. Now, as I said earlier, sheep pens out in the countryside were nothing more than a bunch of rocks piled in kind of a circular wall with one small opening. And since there was no gate, the shepherd would keep the sheep in and the predators out by lying across the opening himself. And he would sleep there, literally becoming the door. So as followers of Christ, Jesus is both the shepherd and the door that provides for all of our needs. Now, what are some really good examples of how we can be compassionate in the Bible? Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate, tender-hearted to one another, forgiving each other just as God forgave you. So let, <laughs> let me ask you, when was the last time you were tender-hearted with someone? And was it someone that you loved? Because Luke 6, 35 tells us to love our enemies. It says, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Lord Most High, because he is kind, the ungrateful, and the wicked. <sighs> wow, that's a hard truth. So let me ask you, how do you treat the hard-to-love people in your life? And I'm over here with hand quotes. Those people who are just hard to love. They're difficult. And as much as you try, they just do things that are either wrong or upset you. Who makes you, you stressful? Who frustrates you? And who is your enemy? Who's your adversary? Again, not if you're driving, but if you're not, can you close your eyes, get out that piece of paper and that pen? But I'd like to stop here just for a moment and do some ministry time because God wants to talk to you. and He wants to help you heal. So let's take a moment and think of a person in your life that creates some tension or problems. Let God bring to mind someone maybe who makes you anxious or maybe you feel angry, rejected, helpless, and picture them in your mind. Now take a moment to feel how your body has responded. Is your pulse racing? Did your muscles tense up? Do you feel upset? Do you maybe have a, a knot in your stomach? 
Did you have a visceral response or did you have peace? Now, if you didn't have peace, there's healing to do. God wants to help. So just jot down that person's name and we're going to come back to that. Here's the important thing. It's easy to let someone take on the role of enemy in our lives, even family. We must make it a priority to make peace if we're able, instead of dwelling on how we've been wronged or justifying our feelings. And I think sometimes we are so busy being justified that we can miss the miracle that God has for us. Miracles in our stories are what allow us to give God glory. But they're also gifts fully intended to bless us because God loves us so much. And he's trying to show us who he is, how we should live, and remind us that we can rely on him. Why are we so eager to receive compassion but often fight with God over extending it to others? So let's look at the difference between the law and relationship, the the dichotomy between the truths of Jesus and and what the law might have said, because here is where we find what we're actually being called to do. The, The sermons that Jesus gave were different than the law. They called us to more. They called the people to more than the minimum His sermons lay out a code of conduct for Christians. They lay the groundwork, really, for the church. And if we're being called to love like God, then we need to understand these godly morals and not live like the world. So here are some everyday examples, right? Jesus is calling us to aim above the minimum and do more than expected in order to show his kind of love. So let's say it snows. The law might say to shovel your sidewalk so nobody slips and gets hurt. But Jesus would say, shovel your sidewalk and then go shovel your neighbor's sidewalk too. Now, if your sister came and stole something out of your closet, the law might say, don't go ransack her closet. But Jesus would say, open your closet and see what else she might like to wear of yours. If you're struggling financially, the law would say, don't steal. And Jesus would say, take a look around. Find someone who's struggling more than you are and find a way to help them. If the law says to go a mile with someone, Jesus says go two miles. Jesus isn't asking us to run faster and jump higher. He isn't handing out a more rigid list of rules. He's not raising the bar to make life miserable. These sermons were intended to help us redirect our aim. Jesus is saying, don't live by the minimum. In changing our aim, we're released to live beyond the rules to truly show compassion. Okay. Get out your paper and pencil again or stop here and come back, but close your eyes again and picture that person that you pictured earlier. Again, if you're driving, please pull over and don't close your eyes. (laughs) Now, ask God to tell you what you need to do. What action does he want you to take with that person? And ask the Holy Spirit to actually help you do that. 
If you heard something, write it down. And if you didn't, then your homework is to keep asking that question because I guarantee you that God has a plan and a purpose for every situation. I want to assure you that that purpose includes forgiveness, peace, and love in action. It requires his compassion. 1 Peter 3, 8-9 says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, sympathetic, and love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called that you may inherit a blessing. God is asking us to love like he does. We need to share his love with the world around us. And we have to hold on to Jesus. And if we do, he will change us. And he will change the world through us. Change is the key word here. What feels justifiable or right to us is mostly emotion. But we have all of these rules of how to live. And and these rules are for our good and the good of others. They aren't like traditions of men. They're made by the one who created you, who knows exactly what is best for you. And so as we transform, we have to do it through his power with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. And we have to begin to not live the way that we lived before we knew Jesus and take on his characteristics to pick them up and wear them like a mantle and carry them into the world. The world is hurting. People need real love, sacrificial love, true love. Stay good on my world, let go. Your love is all I ever know I'm holding on to you I'm holding on to you I push and pull but up a fight But you're always right by my side I'm holding on to you I'm holding on to you My trust in the world, that's why I can't trust Gave my love to the world, that's why I can't love I was walking in my sins, I had to readjust So I turned to the Father, that's the man above I was tied up in the world, but now I'm turning back A broken heart, so I've been feeling like a heart attack I've been praying to my God, I'm going cardiac Can you please save me? I don't want to die yet Cause I was so afraid to hell, my soul was paralyzed And I was talking to Christ, and he showed paradise He said if I change my life, then that's the way I go But I was running from the ghost because I'm terrified And I know that he holds the truth And I know that he paid my debt so when I get up in the booth, I'm spinning cold weed Tell you what I've been going through, Lord, you save me But I know I ain't worthy of you
holding on to you I'm holding on to you And all you have is worth the wait Yeah, I do it your way I'm holding on to you Holding on to you Take your time out.